Hey guys, it's Brie. You are listening to Brief, and today we're going to be covering Anthem by Ayn Rand. And I'm going to start with some context and just kind of an overview, and then we'll get into the characters and then chapters. This is a pretty short book, so it shouldn't be more than two episodes. Okay, Anthem by Ayn Rand, written in 1937. Ayn Rand was born in Russia in 1905, and in 1925, she moved to the United States. So the Soviet Union began in 1922. So there were three years of Rand's life that she lived in a socialist country and she was in her early 20s. So that obviously had a big impact on her life and her writing. Rand developed a philosophical system called objectivism, which I don't want to oversimplify, but I also don't want to explain it to you fully. So you can look it up if you want, but to oversimplify it, basically it's individualism. So she had a large, still has a large political influence and is credited with being the starter of the libertarian movement. Her most notable works are The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged, which I'm sure you've heard of or read, and at some point we will be briefing. Anthem is a dystopian fiction. It's a story of a future world where the idea of the individual is completely gone. Her original title for this novel was Ego, but she thought that it gave too much away for the plot. Okay, it's important to understand Ayn Rand's definition of ego in the context of this book. In the introduction of the book, she says, I used the word in its exact and literal meaning. I did not mean a symbol of the self, but specifically and actually man's self. She goes on to explain that man's self is his mind and his reason, and that reason is a property of the individual, and there is no such thing as a collective brain. So by ego, she is meaning an actual person's self and not like a symbol of it. The world described in this story is a world in which the idea of the individual is completely gone and there's only the collective we and not even the word I remains. So literally in the book, you'll hear the narrator describe situations where he's by himself But he says we instead of I because they literally don't even have the word I or me. Everything is done for the whole of the people and they're all required to live for their brothers and never be alone or think of only themselves. It's all about the collective. Okay, so now we're going to talk about major characters and there are only two that are important and actually There's only a few characters in the whole book, and there's only two that we actually interact with more than just a little bit. So the narrator, his name given to him by his society is Equality 7-2521. And obviously, I'm not going to say that every time, so I'm just going to call him Equality. So he has a few different names throughout the book. The first is Equality 7-2521. Another name he goes by later is The Unconquered. And then in the end, he goes by the name Prometheus. He lives in a future world that's completely eliminated the idea of individualism. He writes this story in his journal that he finds, which is a sin. He's not supposed to be by himself. He's not supposed to be having thoughts that no one else is having, especially not writing them down. 
in this world. There's no mirrors. So he doesn't actually describe himself physically because he doesn't know what he looks like, except to say that he is 21 years old and six feet tall. Okay, so the next character is Liberty 5-3000. She is a girl that Equality meets in the story. He calls her the golden one. And in the end, she is called Gaia. And you'll understand those names later. But she works the soil and lives in the home of the peasants. Equality describes her as having a straight body, thin as a blade of iron. Her hair was golden as the sun, which is why he calls her the golden one. The way that equality describes her makes it seem like she's someone who would defy her leaders and the collective. So themes of this book, there's really only, well, there's two major themes throughout this book. And the first is the importance of identity, ego, and individualism. And the second is the destructive culture of collectivism, which are basically just opposites of each other. So when we go through themes, I'll, we'll discuss that. But those are the two major themes. Now we're going to start with chapter one. So the narrator begins by saying, It is a sin to write this. It is a sin to think words no others think and put them down upon a paper no others are to see. So again, in this world, to have individual thought is a transgression. He's alone. But like I said, the language he's using is we and us instead of I and me. And that's super important to the story, obviously, is his use of those words. The narrator, his name is Equality, and he explains that writing his story down is not the only sin that he's committed. But the other crime he's committed has no name because it's never been done. He says he's in a dark place. He only has a candle for light. He's under the earth and he's alone. This is fearful for him because the law says that no one can be alone because being alone is the root of all evil. (laughs) He stole the candle he's using from a place called the home of the street sweepers, which is where he lives. The consequence of stealing this candle is being locked up for 10 years in the palace of corrective detention. But he's not worried about this because he says nothing matters except the work that he's doing, his secret, precious work. But again, writing is not the work that he's doing, but it's important for him to write it down because he says, we wish to speak for once to no ears but our own. So we don't find his name out until the next page. On page 18, he says, our name is Equality 7-2521 as it is written on the iron bracelet which all men wear on their left wrists. We are 21 years old, we are 6 feet tall. He says it's a burden to stand this tall because he stands out from the crowd and no one is supposed to be different. He tells us that he's cursed. He says we're born with a curse. It has always driven us to thoughts which are forbidden. It has always given us wishes which men may not wish. We know that we are evil. There is no will in us and no power to resist it. This is our wonder and our secret fear that we know and do not resist. So in this world, every man must be alike. Equality tells us that there are words on the palace of the world council, which is a building uh, where the leaders are. And these words are printed up there to help people not be tempted. And the words say, we are one in all and all in one. There are no men, but only the great we, one indivisible and forever. These words have been on the palace for a very long time, long enough that there's like mold growing on them and stains on the marble. But these words are considered truth because the world council is considered truth. 
Equality tells us that this is how it's been since what he calls the Great Rebirth, which was so long ago that no one remembers it except for the old ones. Speaking about the Great Rebirth is forbidden, and the consequence is jail time, obviously. The old ones are the only people who whisper about it now, but they all live together at a place called the Home of the Useless, which seems pretty harsh. And when they do speak about that time, they tell of towers which rose to the sky, wagons which moved without horses, and lights which burned without flame. So not only does this future world seem to lack individuality, um, they've also seemed to reverse a lot of technologies like electricity and the automobile and apparently really tall buildings. (laughs) So these times, these old days, are called the unmentionable times. And the people of this world have been taught that those were evil times until men saw the great truth, which is this, that all men are one and that there is no will save the will of all men together. And to be honest, I mean, it gets pretty repetitive, right? They keep talking about like sins and what they can't do and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, that's going to happen throughout the whole book. Equality says that everyone else follows the rules and it's only him who is cursed. He explains the course of their lives in this world. So children are born into the home of the infants. They live there until they are five years old. It's a clean, plain white place and everyone is just alike. Some of the children would get into fights, but equality fought the most and was locked up for it. When children turn five, they are sent to the home of the students and they have 10 years of school. Uh, The school is very structured and every night, Before bed, they recite these words. We are nothing. Mankind is all. By the grace of our brothers are we allowed our lives. We exist through, by, and for our brothers who are the state. Amen. (laughs) Every night they recite that. Equality says he didn't like the home of the students because he found learning to be very easy. And that also is a sin. It seems like everything is a sin, honestly. But that's also a sin because his head is too quick. So he's too smart. And that makes him different from his brothers and it's evil to be superior to them. So he tried to suppress his knowledge and forget what he learned, but he couldn't. And he always understood the teachers before they spoke. So he tried to act like another student that he was with who wasn't smart at all. His name is Union 53992, was described as only having half a brain. So he tried to act like him, but that didn't really work. And he was lashed a lot more than the other students. Okay, so once a student turns 15 years old, they are given a vocation by the councils. I don't know if you've read The Giver, but this is pretty similar to The Giver, where the kids go in front of the council, the council give them a job, and then that's what they do forever, right? So they go in front of the council, which obviously the council knows all things, and they place the students where they are needed and where they can best help their brothers. Students are taught to not dream about what they want to do, and in the event that a student is deemed useless by the council, the council says that there is no reason for them to burden the earth with their bodies. It's just like really harsh. So they literally just kill the 15-year-olds if they're deemed useless. Equality is nothing if not a rule breaker. So obviously he was guilty of what they call the great transgression of preference. So he thought about what he wanted to do. He didn't like learning about history, but he loved this what they call the science of things. And he wanted to know everything about the earth. But again, he asked too many questions in school. So the teachers started forbidding him from asking questions altogether. Equality believes that 
there are mysteries in the sky, water, and plants, but the Council of Scholars says that there are no secrets. The science of things has taught him that the earth is flat and the sun revolves around it. Which seems like, like, why does, why do you have to reverse that? Like, why does that matter? You know, like, sure, take away electricity, take away cars if you want them to not, you know, get away or, you know, be, have any sort of progress. But like, why do you have to revert back to like, the earth is flat? Anyway, students are also taught how to bleed men to cure them of all ailments. So to bleed someone means to drain some of their blood. This is a very ancient practice that was believed to cure illness. It was used a lot in the days of consumption. So they would like drain some of the blood in order to like get the sickness out of the person's body, which I don't think was very effective. So again... (laughs) getting rid of, you know, modern medicine, but it doesn't seem like they care too much about the livelihood of their people. Okay, Equality says that late at night he silently wishes to be sent to the home of the scholars when his time comes, because then he'll get to learn more about the science of things, and he would love that. According to the home of the scholars, candles were discovered just 100 years ago. Huge discovery. They also recently discovered how to make glass. They have to study the earth in order to discover these things and that's why he wants to go so he can ask questions and get answers. Equality says that his curse wants him to seek answers and it tells him that there are great things on this earth and we can know them if we try. Okay, so when Equality turned 15, he went to the Great Hall, not in Harry Potter, sadly not at Hogwarts. Um, He went to the Great Hall with his teachers and met with the Council of Vocations. They call each student up by name and give them a job. Some of them are carpenters or doctors or cooks or leaders, etc. And the student says, the will of the brothers be done. So they get their vocation and their response is, the will of the brothers be done. Carpenters and cooks have no further schooling and they just go straight to work. But people like leaders and doctors have to go on to study more. Equality is called up and is given the vocation street sweeper. He tells us that when this happened, he was happy because he knew that he had sinned by wishing for something more and now he could atone for that by working for his brothers forever. I mean, if that's not brainwash, I don't know what is. He says he was proud and with the clearest and steadiest voice in the hall that day said, the will of our brothers be done. He describes his new home at the home of the street sweepers. This world keeps time by sundial. They have breakfast in the morning, they go to work. For five hours, they sweep and rake, and then they get 30 minutes for lunch. They go back to work for another five hours and then come back for dinner that's an hour long. And after that, they go to social meeting at one of the city halls. They sit and listen to their duties, and leaders come and read speeches that were made at the city council that day because the city council represents all men, and all men must know. They sing hymns about brotherhood and equality and collectivism, and they go home and they're given three hours for recreation. They can see like a play put on by the home of the actors if they want. I think there's a couple more options and then they go to bed. And here he repeats the exact line that he said in in the beginning when he was describing where he lived as a child and a student. So in all of the um, different places you live when you're a child, when you're a student, when you're an adult, uh, they are all, he says, the sleeping halls are white and clean and bare of all things save 100 beds. For four years, he lived in this routine, but two years ago is when he committed his crime, and now he's telling us the story. He tells us that all men live until they're no longer useful, which we learned earlier. When someone's no longer useful, it's because they're worn out, and this usually comes at the age of 40. 
when they're 40, they're sent to the home of the useless where the old ones live. So, I mean, all of our parents probably would be useless at this point. They don't work and they don't speak very often and they're basically just waiting to die. Uh, when a miracle happens, he says it's a miracle that someone will live to be 45. They're called the ancient ones. And I dare you to go call someone that's 45 an ancient one and see what happens. Okay, this would have been him, obviously. He would have gone to the home of the useless if he hadn't committed this crime. One day when Equality was cleaning the yard of the home of the scholars, he was picking up things he found interesting and wanted to keep, like glass vials and things like that. But having nowhere to keep them, he took them to the city cesspool. And that's when he made his discovery. Street sweepers work in groups of three. And at the time, he was working with Union 5-3992, which was the kid from school who had half a brain. And another kid named International 4-8818. Equality says that Union... I'm not going to say their whole names. He says that Union has what... he, he just, What he describes sounds like seizures. So he says that... He convulses and foams at the mouth. When he does that, they just lie him down and wait for it to pass. International is tall and strong, and he says that there's laughter in his eyes. So International smiles, which is frowned upon. And when they were in school, he used to draw pictures with pieces of coal. So he's, he's an artistic type. Equality says that they're friends, but this is a sin because you're not allowed to prefer any one person to another. So they never speak about it but they know that they're friends. One day, Union is having convulsions, so they lie him under a tree. International inequality leave to finish their work, and they go to a spot where there's a ravine, and behind that is the uncharted forest. And again, Harry Potter, you know, just the forbidden forest over here. Um, and you're not allowed to go in it, so it's basically Harry Potter. During... Their cleanup over here, Equality finds an iron bar and tries to pull it up. He can't, so he calls International over, and together they unbury it and find an old iron grill over a black hole. Equality pulls up the iron and sees a hole with a ladder leading down. Equality tells International he's going to go down. They have a small argument about whether or not it's legal. It's obviously not, but Equality goes down anyway, and International keeps watch. He climbs down and finds a tunnel. He fills the walls. He says they feel like stone, but they aren't stone. And then he discovers long tracks that feel like iron, but aren't iron. And he tries to follow it, but it's too dark, so he goes back. He climbs back up, and he says, We suddenly knew that this place was left from the unmentionable times. Hundreds and hundreds of years ago, men knew secrets, which we have lost. When he gets back to land, International argues with him, telling him that they need to tell the council what they found. Equality firmly says no and says that if International should report it to the council, they would have Equality lashed to death. And he <laughs> kind of blackmails him. He asks International if that, he's like, is that what you want? <laughs> Do you want me to die? And International, being a good friend, says, rather would we die than tell the council. So they decide to keep the secret. And Equality says the place is theirs now. If ever we surrender it, we shall surrender our life with it also. International is standing there with him and he's holding back tears, but he says boldly, 
If you wish it so, we shall obey. Rather shall we be evil with you than good with all our brothers. Which is really sweet because they really are friends. So every night after that, Equality sneaks away when everyone's at the theater and he goes to his spot and climbs down into the tunnel. He covers up his spot with stone so no one will find it and he spends three hours in the tunnel every night. He steals a lot of things like candles, flints, knives, and paper, glass vials, powders, and acids and takes them into the tunnel. He uses them to perform experiments, melting metals and dissecting dead animals, which I think is interesting because we all had to dissect frogs in science, right? But like the fact that he has no like teachers telling him to do it, he just like does science to dissect a frog. I don't know, seems kind of serial killery, but whatever. <clears throat> anyway, he stole manuscripts as well, which are very rare. So he's been doing this now for two years. And he says, in these two years, we have learned more than we had learned in the 10 years of the home of the students. We have learned things which are not in the scripts. We have solved secrets for which the scholars have no knowledge. He says he's happy in his tunnel and wants to stay there and learn forever. He says, we alone of the thousands who walk this earth, we alone in this hour are doing a work which has no purpose, save that we wish to do it. Everything they do is for the benefit of their brothers. He's saying this doesn't benefit anyone but himself. He only is doing it because he wants to. He says he feels no shame, regret, or fear, and he feels at peace for the first time in his life. Okay, chapter two. Equality meets a girl. Her name is Liberty 5-3000. She's the girl we talked about in the beginning. And this is how he opens chapter two. He's writing her name over and over again. He says, we wish to write this name. We wish to speak it, but we dare not speak it above a whisper. For men are forbidden to take notice of women, and women are forbidden to take notice of men. But we think of one among women, they whose name is Liberty 5-3000, and we think of no others. Okay, so Liberty lives in the home of the peasants, and she works the soil. Equality saw her working nearby one day. He describes her as thin, with dark eyes and golden hair, and he is obviously struck by love at first sight. The first time he saw her, someone called her by name and she turned and left and that's how he knows her name. He watched her the next day and every day after that and he suspects that she looks at him too. One day she came closer to him and stood looking at him. Straight into our eyes there was no smile on their face and no welcome and then she walked away. The next day she came over again and she smiled at him. From then on they greeted each other every morning but they never spoke. In order to acknowledge each other, they make a sort of secret handshake, and it's kind of like a salute. So equality starts it. He says he puts his hand to his forehead and then moves it slowly, palm down, toward her. Yeah, so it's like a sort of salute. She reciprocates it, but no one knows what they're doing because it just looks like they're shading their eyes from the sun. Equality thinks of only her, so he decides to give her a name. So he starts calling her the golden one. Again, men are not allowed to think of women except for one night in the spring, which is called the time of mating, which sounds horrific. Men older than 20 and women older than 18 are assigned to each other in the city palace of mating and children are born in the winter, but they never know their parents. So Equality says he's been twice to the palace of mating and he says, but it is an ugly and shameful matter of which we do not like to think. So he's not down with the palace of mating. Equality finally speaks to the golden one. They are near each other by the hedge and all the other workers are far away. She walks close to him and Equality says to her, you are beautiful, Liberty 5-3000. 
And I'm going to read this conversation because it's important and also really beautiful. So it's on, if you have my same book, I guess, it's on page 42 and 43. So he says, you are beautiful, Liberty 5-3000. Their face did not move and they did not avert their eyes. Only their eyes grew wider and there was triumph in their eyes. And it was not triumph over us, but over things we could not guess. Then they asked, what is your name? Equality 7-2521, we answered. You are not one of our brothers, Equality 7-2521, for we do not wish you to be. We cannot say what they meant, for there are no words for their meaning. But we know it without words, and we knew it then. No, we answered, nor are you one of our sisters. If you see us among scores of women, will you look upon us? We shall look upon you, Liberty 5-3000, if we see you among all the women of the earth. Basically, they're just telling each other that they both are into each other. After that, Liberty asks him if he always works in the same spot. He says, yes. She tells him his eyes are not like any other man's eyes. And Equality reacts to this suddenly without cause for the thought which came to us. We felt cold to our stomach. I mean, come on. We all know that feeling. So he asks what her age is and she's 17. He's relieved because that means that she hasn't gone to the palace of mating yet, but is cause for concern because that means she's a minor, which I guess this is a different world, so it doesn't really matter. But he's stoked because that means she's never been to the palace of mating. He doesn't know why he doesn't want her to go there because he feels that what happens there is an ugly act. So he's like confused. He says, what relations can they bear to the golden one? He doesn't understand that because he's in love with her or because he's into her he wants to have sex with her because in his world the way that he views it sex is an ugly act he doesn't understand what he's feeling and he doesn't understand why he doesn't want her to go there and then all of a sudden he feels this like burning hatred for all of his brothers so he senses that she understands why he's angry about it and he says we think that in the wisdom of women, the Golden One had understood more than we can understand. When Equality went back to the home of the street sweepers, he was reprimanded for singing out loud without even realizing he was singing. Uh, he tells the home council that he's happy, and that's why he's singing, and they responded, Indeed, you are happy. How else can a man be when they live for their brothers? Equality reflects on happiness. All men are supposed to be happy in this world. But he looks at his brothers as they get ready for bed and he notices that none of them look happy. Their eyes are dull and they never look into each other's eyes. They have a hunched posture. It's as if their bodies were shrinking and wished to shrink out of sight. Equality sees that there's fear in his brothers. He says, There's fear hanging in the air of the sleeping halls and in the air of the streets. Fear walks through the city. Fear without name, without shape. All men feel it and none dare speak it. The only time Equality doesn't feel fear is when he's in his tunnel. And the council is starting to notice, though, that Equality is too happy, which is not ideal for his situation. There are some brothers who are not well, and their differences are noticed. One brother cries out randomly for no apparent reason, and their body shakes with sobs they cannot explain. Another brother screams out in the night for help, and the doctors cannot cure him. And everyone is silent. No one dares speak what they're thinking because... Everyone is supposed to think the same thing, so no one can know if what they think is the same as their brothers. Equality finds himself staring at the uncharted forest at night. There are legends 
that a couple men in the past have gone into the uncharted forest and never returned because they died of starvation or wild beasts. The people are taught that there was a war and the evil ones were conquered. Fires raged after the war and destroyed the evil ones and everything they made. These fires are called the dawn of the great rebirth and in it all the scripts and words from the evil ones were burned. He writes in his journal the question, what are the words which we have lost? He immediately asks for mercy upon asking this question and says he didn't mean to ask it. Um, I'm going to read the next paragraph. It's on page 49 and it's, I'm going to read it because it's important to the larger like themes of the story. There is some word, one single word, which is not in the language of men, but which had been. And this is the unspeakable word, which no men may speak nor hear. But sometimes, and it is rare, sometimes somewhere one among men find that word. They find it upon scraps of old manuscripts or cut into the fragments of ancient stones. But when they speak it, they are put to death. There is no crime punished by death in this world save this one crime of speaking the unspeakable word. Equality in his lifetime, when he was 10 years old, he saw a man who was burned alive in the square because he spoke the unspeakable word. The transgressor had his tongue cut out. He was taken to the square to be burned and equality noticed that he had the calmest and happiest face in the square. He smiled as he waited his fate. He was being burned for speaking the unspeakable word. And then I'm going to read another paragraph, sorry. So on page 51, equality tells us something super important which is why I'm going to read it. He says, As the flames rose, a thing happened which no eyes saw but ours, else we would not be living today. Perhaps it only seemed to us, but it seemed to us that the eyes of the transgressor had chosen us from the crowd and were looking straight upon us. There was no pain in their eyes and no knowledge of the agony of their body. There was only joy in them and pride, a pride holier than it is fit for human pride to be. And it seemed as if these eyes were trying to tell us something through the flames, to send into our eyes some word without sound. And it seemed as if these eyes were begging us to gather that word and not to let it go from us and from the earth. But the flames rose and we could not guess the word. I am sure most of you, if not all of you, know what the unspeakable word is. In fact, I'm pretty sure I told you what it was <laughs> in the beginning, in the context section. So anyway, that's the end of chapter two and also the end of this episode. The next episode will have the rest of the chapters and we will go over themes. So make sure you listen. Go follow Brief Podcast on Instagram right now so that you can know when we post new books and also send your syllabi to our email hello at briefpodcast.com so that we know what books you need briefed.